The following episode of Mark My Words has been edited for this rebroadcast. Welcome. You're listening to Mark My Words here on the Life Coach Radio Network. Today is May 18th, 2014. I'm Mark Shaw, broadcasting live from New York City. I'm a certified life and business coach, and twice per month I host Mark My Words, which is a life coaching-oriented show where I interview various people with inspiring life stories of overcoming adversity. I also speak with authors of great coaching-related books and programs, as well as many others who have great things to say. So please tune in the first and third Sunday of every month to join me in some lively and motivating and inspiring discussions. You know, in my work and in my role as a trainer of life coaches and business coaches, one of the things I'm acutely aware of is how much our thoughts influence the outcomes we have in our lives. And those of you listening who've had me administer and debrief your Energy Leadership Index Assessment, which is a wonderful assessment tool created by Bruce D. Schneider of IPEC Coaching, where you can find out more about this assessment at markshaw.com. But those of you who've done the Energy Leadership uh, Index Assessment are familiar with this concept. Uh, Our thoughts create our emotions. Our emotions influence our behavior choices. So let me give you an example of this. Suppose you're making a sales presentation to a room full of people, and someone's challenging you from your audience rather vehemently. If you're confident in your skills as a salesperson, you might perceive this as an exciting challenge, and it may create emotions such as excitement, uh, which then in turn trigger behavior choices such as to perhaps engage in the situation in a way that ultimately creates a win for all involved. Now, on the other hand, if you perceive this same situation as threatening in some way, that might release a certain stream of what's known as catabolic hormones into your bloodstream that then cause certain emotions such as fear or anxiety. This surge of what we call catabolic energy will in turn cause you to take quite different actions than the ones I described in the earlier reaction. So perhaps actions to protect yourself, to fight or run away, the fight or flight response that many of us are familiar with, uh, in order to reduce these unpleasant emotions. So you may become defensive or you might become flustered, and that's likely to inhibit your ability to do your best because the behavior choices that you make won't be ones that are going to ultimately get you the results that you want. When we're in that catabolic state, we're really unable to access our creativity and really access our higher levels uh, of, of thinking, and our body goes into a more primitive response. And this catabolic process is your body's natural reaction to stress. It's it's how the body breaks down the cells to release their stored energy in order to meet the demand placed on it by the stressor. But when our system is constantly in that state of catabolic breakdown over a long period of time, injury can set in as well as illness and even disease. At best, we're sluggish and we don't feel the energy to do much, and we're tired all the time. That's the best result we get if we have a long-term exposure to catabolic energy. At worst, we end up with stress-related illnesses, such as cardiovascular disease, stroke, or even depression, and various forms of cancer. Tonight's guest understands this process firsthand. A cancer survivor, Christine, learned firsthand how to shift her catabolic thoughts and therefore her emotions in a way that she and I both believe altered the course of her health. Here's what she wrote to me when she emailed me about coming on the show. She said, I was in an abusive marriage which took me a while to get out of. 
Then I was diagnosed with cancer a week after my divorce was final. As a single mom of three, it was a very rocky road. I thought I did my work during the next year. I ate healthy, I worked out, I started yoga, but the cancer came back exactly one year later. I now have come to realize that my thoughts were my enemy, as I still harbored resentment, anger, and fear towards my ex-husband and my disease. Once I got my mind, body, and spirit in alignment, life shifted. So tonight, almost five years cancer-free now, Christine is going to share her story here on Mark My Words. We're going to hear how her journey enhanced her understanding of the mind-body connection and brought her to the realization that her thoughts may have been the biggest enemy of all in her fight against her cancer. So, Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. I was really touched by your story when you originally reached out to me, and uh, uh, so I'm glad that we were able to make it happen and have you on the show to uh, share your story with my listeners and hopefully inspire and motivate others as well. Um, so uh, it's great that you're here. And by the way, we will be taking your calls uh, throughout the show. So if you have questions or comments or anything that you'd like to share, uh, the number to call in is 646-716-9397. That's 646-716-9397. Just go ahead and dial in. Press 1. That indicates you want to ask a question. And, uh, and then just sit on hold until I pick you up. So, so Christine, Tell us a little bit first about, because uh, I know that you're a coach as well, tell us a little bit first about the, uh, the work that you do as a coach. I understand you coach women in their 40s who are in career transition in their lives and that you also coach uh, some cancer survivors as well. Is that correct? That's correct, Mark. Um, I am a certified life coach. I went through the IPEC training, um, and I also am a Reiki practitioner. So, what I've been through, I really have a lot of energy around that mind-body-spirit connection. And so I do coach a lot of women, mainly in their 40s, um, around that mind-body-spirit connection and in transitions in their life as, as well. Um, and I'm very fortunate um, to also coach cancer survivors uh, as well, too. Great, great. So tell me what you mean when you say, I'm very fortunate to coach cancer survivors. I like that. Tell me, tell me more about why you consider that to be fortunate. Well, having been, having, I am a cancer survivor, um, so being able to, now that I feel like I'm on the other side of that journey, to be able to help somebody else see that there is a light at the other side, there is a life at the other side, and help them uh, navigate their own journey of what it, that life means to them is just so rewarding to me. Mm, that's great. That's terrific. And that's, you know, that's the story of so many people who survive various things is they, they then reach out, they turn that around, they reach out and support others who are going through similar things, which is just, uh, I think that's one of the most terrific things about our human beingness uh, is that we do that. So uh, that's, that's really great. Absolutely. Thank you. How long did it take you to sure? How long did it take you to get there? When, when when were you first diagnosed with cancer, and then when did you start to give your gift back to the cancer community? Well, I was uh, first diagnosed in September of 2008. Uh, I was just getting out of an abusive marriage. I was divorced September 22nd, which is a Monday. And the very next Monday, September 29th, 2008, I was wheeled into surgery. 
um, for the first time to remove cancer from my body. Uh, it, it, it was a long journey um, from there. I, um, at that point, didn't know what was going on, where I was going. And a couple, a couple things, trials, tribulations down the road, I would say about a year and a half or maybe closer to two years, I really started to get that connection and start to, starting to be able to give back after I did my journey. Mm. Wow. So, so what kind of cancer was it that you were that you were diagnosed with? I had oral cancer, so I had cancer on the left side of my tongue the first time, um, which was, you know, kind of out of left field, you know, so to so to speak, because I never smoked. Um, I was a casual drinker, um, so really the doctors had no idea why it came about for me, but that's mm-hmm. what happened. Wow. So what what did that feel like to hear that you had cancer? I can only imagine that. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, it was. You know, it's funny, Mark, because, you know, when I finally got my brain around leaving, you know, my marriage um, and everything that meant, I understood I had a choice and I made that choice. But when I was told I had cancer, I kind of was just, I felt like there were no options. I didn't have a choice to, you know, file some paperwork and be done with the cancer. Um, You know, I was at the mercy of the disease and, you know, the doctors that were there to to help me. So it was, you know, one instance that comes to my mind, I remember walking down the hallway of the hospital and I had about four or five family members with me walking behind me and just walking. And I just, in my head, just the words dead woman walking just rang through my brain because you just feel, even though you have so many people around you, you just feel mm-hmm. so, so alone. It was pretty devastating. Sure. I, can, I, I, well, I can't. I can't imagine, actually. Um, it, it, it's got to be one of the most fear-inducing things that we can experience as a human being is to hear that kind of news, that kind of life-threatening news, you know, when our very existence, our, our physical integrity like that is threatened. Um, and uh, mm. that, that's just enormously fearful. Um, and it's great that you had family around you uh, because even it, it was still difficult even with family around you. Imagine what it would have been like if, if for some reason, you know, you'd been alone. Because I imagine exactly. there are people often out there that, that receive these diagnoses when they are by themselves, mm-hmm. either alone in sure. their life or alone at that moment. Exactly. I, I agree. Absolutely. Very devastating for sure. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I can only begin to imagine also just the, 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 the courage uh, that you ultimately mustered up and, and displayed uh, to be able to to get through that, especially considering the other things that you had going on in your life at that point that were challenging and and, and quite difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. You know, it's. You know, I've heard a lot. A lot of people have said to me, "Wow, you're so brave. You're so brave." You know, I admire how brave you are. And for me, or you know, or probably, I can assume anyone going through an illness like cancer. I, it wasn't that I was brave. It was that I. This is the only thing I could do was to fight it. 
So I was faced with that. And looking back, yeah, I was brave because I did have a choice. And it's funny because on the paperwork that you, you know, you sign with the hospital when they tell you what your diagnosis is and they schedule surgery for you, you know, they say other, it says other options, right? So my doctor would write, do nothing. So I did have another option. My other option was to do nothing about it. So looking back, yes, I was, I guess I was brave. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would imagine there's lots of people out there that do nothing, that give up. Mm Mm-hmm. I've heard stories absolutely um, where sometimes, you know, denial is is a defense mechanism. And I I went through periods of that for sure. Um, You just kind of want your life to go back to the way it was yesterday, you know, before you heard this. Um, So I can totally understand and appreciate how somebody would decide to do nothing because denial is, is a safe place to be for sure. Sure, sure. Or as they say, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, yeah, you know, and I think that you, you raise a really important point there, Christine. That uh, that you did have a choice. It looked at the time like you didn't, mm-hmm. but you did. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I think we all go through uh, challenging situations where we feel like we don't have a choice. We actually do. Yeah. We always have choice, but it feels like we don't. Right. Um, we can choose to do nothing, which is a choice. And exactly. uh, I'm, just, I'm just reminded of a story that, uh, that, that uh, Bruce D. Schneider, the founder of IPEC, always told in the trainings when he used to lead the trainings at IPEC. And he, he was a psychotherapist in the uh, criminal justice system. And, and I also tell this story in my classes for him now that you know, he's, he's not uh, teaching those classes anymore. But it's such a great story, so I would share it. So some of my listeners may have heard this already. But... Um, he had a guy, young man, came in. He was mandated for psychotherapy. And uh, so he sat there and didn't say anything for the entire first 45-minute session that he had with Bruce. And Bruce didn't say a word either. And they sat there staring at each other, and the guy got up and left. <laughs> Comes back for his next session a week later, and Bruce is like, why are you here? And the guy's like, huh? He goes, why are you here? He goes, because I have to be, dude. He's like, I don't understand. He's like, what's not to understand? i got to be here. He's like, I don't understand that you have to be here. He goes, I don't have a choice. If I had a choice, I wouldn't be here. So Bruce is like, well, the door's not locked and you're not handcuffed to the chair. You are actually (laughs) free to get up and walk out of this room right now. So I don't understand what you mean when you say you don't have a choice. So the guy's getting mad at him. And he says, look, I don't know what's so difficult to understand. The judge said I have to be here. So I don't have a choice. So Bruce says, I understand the judge said you have to be here. What I don't understand is that you don't have a choice. And he says, well, I don't know how to make you understand it. So Bruce said, let me ask you a question. What happens if you don't come? He goes, well, I go to jail. So Bruce goes, well, very good. So I'm hearing that you value your freedom. He said, well, yeah, I do. So Bruce said, well, then I would say you made a pretty good choice. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that was probably the beginning, I imagine, uh, of this guy recognizing that he does have choice, always did have choice, and it's choices that he made that got him into the situation he was in to begin with. And that, of course, would be the beginning of healing and turning around. So, so there's just such an amazing power in recognizing that we have choice in any situation where we feel like yeah. we don't. And that's what it sounds like you, you have come to realize uh, on your yeah. journey. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I love that story. That's great. Yeah, isn't it awesome? It's uh, when yeah. we told that, I remember just being like, "Oh my God, that's great!" So I often uh, tell that. Of course, crediting him all the time with it, um, but it's such a great, it's it's a great story. So, so you so you went through treatments. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's fast forward a little bit. You you went through treatments, and uh, you hoped that you were okay. And of course, now you're in that five year period where you hope that you're cancer free for five years. Because uh, then, you know, we can announce that you're in remission. Um, but yes. it didn't go that way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so so things went on for you. You had other challenges during uh, that time. Um, yeah. And it, the cancer came back, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, that was about a year later after doing all the right things. Yes, yeah. Um, so let me let me ask you about that. Actually, here here's where I am. Here's what I wanted to ask you about that. What what were some of the f- kinds of thoughts that you were having during that during that year uh, that you now believe contributed possibly to the state of your health during that time? Oh, that is the key question, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> yep. this is it. Yeah. So okay. So. September 29, 2008, I had surgery, and it was a partial glossectomy, which is a partial removal of your tongue. So the left portion of my tongue was removed. The tumor was removed. Um, the margins were clear, so that's all that, I, um, that happens. I had stage 1 squamous cell cancer. I had to go through um, speech therapy. I couldn't say my S's anymore. Um, I felt very silly. Uh, I was 38 at the time, and um, learning how to talk again was very silly to me. Um, So with that kind of behind me, and, you know, I I thought, okay, it's time to, to turn over, change your life. Um, so let's see, what can we do? Well, at, up until that point, um, you know, I've been skinny my whole life. So I ate whatever I wanted to eat. And my assistant, I was the director of a school at that time, my assistant and I would eat Wendy's every day, and I must be healthy because I'm skinny. Uh, so that just, you know, had I had an overhaul of that. Um, I found a nutritionist that helped me greatly, um, changed the way I looked at food and what I ate, and I started eating really, really healthy. Made my green um, juice every morning. Um, started, I figured out what kale was <laughs> and started eating it uh-huh. uh, and liking it. Um, so I started doing that. All right, so I'm changing that. What else can I do? Well, you know, we had sold our house in the divorce, and I moved into an apartment complex with my three kids, and there was a gym in the complex. So let me start working out. So I started working out. Um, I was giving oxygen to my cells, um, and I started going to yoga. So I did that. And... A little while later, I saved up some money, and we bought a small house back in the town, you know, where we were, and I I started getting urges to walk, just walk around the neighborhood, just get out, because now that I, re- now I realized what I was doing, 
I was literally trying to run away from my thoughts and just trying to get as far away from my thoughts as I could because my thoughts were those around, uh, you know, what my ex-husband did in our marriage and how he treated me in our marriage. So I had a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. I would replay over and over during these walks where I'm trying to get away from these thoughts, I would replay over and over in my head uh, conversations or things that happened. Um, I also was so worried that the cancer would come back. Um, You know, so I was a cancer patient. I was divorced. I was a single mother. And so I put all these labels on myself, and all these labels represented struggle. They were all struggle. So as, you know, I'm doing better, eating better and exercising, I still had the label of struggle on me that I put on myself. So as I'm trying to run away, well, I don't run. Let me get that, let me put that out there on the record. I don't, I don't like to run, but as I'm walking <laughs> as best as I can away from these thoughts, they kept following me. Um, so... September 29th, 2009, which is exactly a year to the date that I had my first surgery, I was sitting in my um, my doctor's office, and he had told me that the cancer had returned. So for a while, I really hated September, <laughs> but um, I've turned it around since then. But I just couldn't believe why you know i'm eating better i became a vegetarian so i wasn't eating meat you know it was doing all these great things so why did the cancer come back um and i became really mad um you know my doctor at that point was telling me oh it's the quantity of your life now not the quality and he even had the nerve to say my children might be orphans one day and um all this, you know, he's, I love him. I have to say I love him because he saved my life. But he needs a life coach. <laughs> but anyway. I know a good one you can refer him to. Yes, we, we should. <laughs> but he, um, it, it just, so obviously that didn't help me either. But I, I got really mad. Why did it come back? I thought I was doing everything right. So let me try mm-hmm. and figure out what I could do, what else I could do. So that's when I started, you know, doing some research, reading, um, anything I could get my hands on about the mind-body-spirit connection. And that's kind of when it clicked for me that, okay, you took care of your body, and with yoga, um, you, you know, you're taking care of your spirit. And I really felt a great connection to God at this point. And what's missing was oh, you're poisoning yourself with the thoughts that you are continuing to have. The, the, you're continuing the abuse by yourself, the abuse of the marriage, the abuse of, of having cancer in your body. So that's when I started looking at that mind part of the mind-body-spirit connection. Wow, it's great. Because, um, you know, I, I heard it said um, that we need to be the porter of our own thoughts and only allow yeah. in the ones that we want realized on our bodies. Um, yeah. And I have to credit that quote 
to an amazing man that I, I, I never met. Um, I, I've never even seen him talk, although I know he has done the lecture circuit. Um, some listeners may know him. His name is Morris Goodman. And I, uh, I use a film about him, a documentary film about him, as a training uh, video in some of my corporate training programs. And uh, he basically had crashed in a small private airplane and was not expected mm. to live through the night. And if he did live wow. through the night, uh, the prognosis was the, a short life, uh, probably in a nursing home. He'd never be able to breathe on his own without the use of a respirator, would never be able to eat on his own, uh, would never be able to walk again. And um, he uh, kind of took matters into his own hands through controlling his thoughts and recognizing that the more he believed what the medical society, what, what, what the medical professionals in society were all telling him, the more it would become true. Mm-hmm. And um, so through, you know, mental imaging and meditation and things like that, um, he ended up, he set a goal that he was going to walk out of the hospital on his own two feet. And um, it was, I don't know how long, maybe two years, three, two years or something after the accident perhaps, that he ended up doing exactly that. And there's a powerful moment in the documentary film where he's meeting with uh, his doctor, the doctor's supervisors, and the medical staff, and they ask him what his goal is. At this point, he was able to speak, and he said, my goal is to walk out of this, uh, this uh, hospital on my own two feet. And they told him, you know, we admire that, but you've got to be realistic. That's just not going to happen. And I don't want you to set yourself up for failure. And he said, I know you believe that, doctor, but the problem is it's when I start believing it that I'm in trouble. Yeah. Wow. And that's kind of what, yeah, so, so I really hear a, a connection between that and, and what you're talking about. And it was in the, uh, the documentary that they quoted him as, um, uh, as, as saying that. Um, uh, along with something that he said, SNIOP, which is S-N-I-O-P, which stands for susceptibility to the negative influences of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, other people tell you all this bad stuff about you. <laughs> oh, my God, mm-hmm. you're in so much trouble. This is going to happen, doom and gloom. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and we're very susceptible to that. He was able to ward that off and be the porter of his own thoughts. And that's what it sounds like you're talking about. That's an amazing story. Yeah, absolutely, because... You know, you're bombarded. I mean, my own doctor, just recently, you know, I go every four months um, for a a checkup, and he Mm -hmm. recently said to me, you know, if you get cancer a third time, it's going to be really bad. And Mm -hmm. the old me would have went home and probably curled up in a corner (laughs) and rocked, you know, back and forth. But I kind of chuckled in his face, and, you know, I kind of said, that's not going to happen. And he said, mm-hmm. all right, you go. You know, you go and do do what you're doing. Do what you're doing. That's good. Um, yeah, so it's, sometimes it's hard to, to, you know, turn off the noise of those around us that, you know, yeah. for whatever reason that they believe that, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're you know, trying to help you. It's not that they're, you know, like the, the doctor of, the, of that man in the hospital by saying, you know, this is probably, this is not a reality. You need to focus on something else. wasn't saying that to hurt him, but, but that was his reality. And when you right. can choose your own reality and you believe your own reality to be true, that's when the magic happens right there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let me ask 
ask you this, Christine. What do you what do you say when you're when you're talking to people about your experience and and you're you're um, you're you're giving that kind of uh, advice that 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 kind of information, and people often say, I hear this all the time. Oh, you know, yeah, I get that, but you know, that's a lot easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, it's really a practice. And you really, you know, if you want to get good at something, you have to practice it, right? You know, I can't just go out on a unicycle and ride it, and I can ride a unicycle. And so this takes practice. You're kind of training your brain. You're training your brain to think a new way, to be a new you, um, to kind of just say, this isn't working for me. Here's the evidence, right? So what do I want to do about it? And that's the question. What do you want to do about it? Do you want to stay this way or do you want to change? And there's your choice right there. You can choose to change and and have a different way to, to look at things, or you can choose to stay the same. And, you know, like we talked about before with the cancer and with, you know, the doctor writing, you know, you can have surgery or you can do nothing. Even though I didn't think it was a choice, it really was a choice. So whatever situation you're in, you're choosing to stay in that situation or you can choose to change it, right? So, yeah. so basically, it's, it's a training of the brain. It's choosing, like you had said earlier, it's choosing a new thought to go with a new emotion, to go with a new action. Mm-hmm. And, and we're human beings, so, I mean, I can't tell you that... I, you know, skip through life every day without having any negative thoughts because that's just not the way it is. We all, we all can have a, a thought of worry or a thought of fear, but we can also choose to change that thought quickly and move on to a new reality. Mm. Well, it's, uh, and I think the important, there's an important distinction there too, um, and uh, that, that it's not that, because sometimes people, when they hear this concept of choice, over the, of having choice in their circumstances, they hear that they're to blame for their circumstances the way they already are. And I think it's a really important distinction to draw mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not talking about blame. We're talking about, you know, you are where you are. What choice do you mm-hmm. make moving forward? And it's not that you can choose to cure your cancer either. There's, you know, there's, there's a certain element of who knows how it's going to turn out. But the choice yeah. that you make is to do something different, to do something differently than you've been doing, and to choose to take control, make a difference, and, and have some power in a situation and take some action. That's the choice that we're talking uh, about making. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, I go to see my doctor every four months. Um, so I know that I need to go see my medical doctor. Um, you know, so it, I, I understand that there might be other situations, uh, other factors that, you know, could cause cancer to come back. That's why I choose to see, um, you know, a medical doctor. I also do other things that are um, more holistic as well. That's part of my practice in staying healthy. But um, you definitely want to, um, my, in my situation, 
um, you know, I keep all avenues open and, and just go with what um, works best for me. Mm, terrific. Terrific. So before we go any further, I just want to uh, take a quick break and announce what uh, shows are coming up next uh, here on the Life Coach Radio Network. So um, let's start with the upcoming uh, show on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at 8 p.m., the New You City Chat with host Danielle Mercurio. Uh, Danielle, who I finally actually met in person, um, is uh, recently at our at our one year anniversary dinner for the uh, Life Coach Radio Network. Uh, she's awesome. Danielle is um, a highly passionate city lifestyle expert and coach. So she's the founder of New You City, uh, where the city and you make her business thrive. She inspires urban dwellers to find their own groove in the chaos and manifest their hopes and dreams into reality. She uses her own life experience as well as quite a lighthearted spirit. Uh, and wit to encourage people to stop worrying about what other people think, become bolder, and feel complete now. So that is Thursday. I'm sorry, Tuesday, Tuesday uh, night at 8 p.m. New You City Chat with host Danielle Mercurio. Uh, and then following that, we have on Thursday at 12 noon, we have Walk Your Talk with Leanne. Uh, Leanne Parsons is a certified coach with a specialization in working with adoptees and their family. Her heart is in it to help adoptees and their families build bridges instead of walls. Heirloom Coaching, which is the name of her business, is the missing thread to the tapestry of adoption. And together, she partners with her clients to weave that tapestry back together and create a brand new family legacy of love for generations to come. So that's Walk Your Talk with Leanne this coming Thursday at 12 noon here on the Life Coach Radio Network. And then lastly is, uh, let's see, this is on Friday at 12 noon, uh, the, the 30-something coach, also known as Carrie Spaulding, uh, is on her show she's going to be talking about the power of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, also known as the MBTI, or just for short, the Myers-Briggs, which many people are familiar with. Um, and she's going to be talking about that assessment. It's a personality style assessment to give it an oversimplified description. Um, and it's uh, one of the world's most trusted and most widely used personality assessments. Uh, it could be one great lens, tool, and springboard to choosing and creating the career and the relationships uh, that you want. So in this particular episode, Carrie Spaulding, the 30-something coach, is going to learn about you'll learn about what the MBTI is and how it might help you in your personal and professional life. I love assessments, so I think that's going to be uh, a really great show. So that one is Friday at 12 noon here on the Life Coach Radio Network. And then lastly, we've got um, my next upcoming show, uh, which is going to be on – when is my next show? <laughs> it's going to be on June 1st. June 1st, and I'm going to be interviewing uh, Barbie Holder. Uh, Barbie was uh, also uh, a coach, and uh, she was one of uh, my graduates uh, out in uh, the Seattle program that we do out there. And her specialty is she helps divorced women use their fresh start to make empowered decisions to create a life they love that leverages their unique gifts and talents. Um, so she's got a really great uh, 
great story, uh, which is actually on her website under the Meet Barbie section of her website at desiredlives.com, desiredlives.com. So if you want to read a little bit about Barbie's story and get a little bit of a sense of what she might be talking about on my next show, which is going to be June 1st, you can go visit her website at desiredlives.com and see what that's about. So coming back to where we are, we are talking with Christine, and Christine is a life coach who um, has been on her own battle with cancer. Uh, she's just shy of five years cancer-free after recognizing that her biggest enemy was her thoughts more than anything else. And so we've been talking about how those thoughts have affected her body by first infecting her mind. So, um, so we're back and uh, let's continue on this notion of the mind-body connection. Um, what, what I find, I'm very into metaphors. And, uh, in fact, the, the, the coach training class that I just led this weekend, that ended at, you know, 7.15 or so tonight, and then I ran over here to do the show. Um, but I came up with some, I just hit upon some very, very good metaphors this weekend. So the big thing was how, like, wow, Mark's really big into metaphors. So there's an interesting mm-hmm. one here with you um, that, mm-hmm. You know, you were in this abusive marriage, and uh, you you didn't have a voice, right? And you and I talked mm-hmm. about this when we when we were uh, talking about what we're going to speak about on the show. You didn't have a voice. You're in an abusive marriage without a voice, not able to express yourself. And then the cancer, the specific cancer that you get diagnosed with, is oral cancer. The treatment yeah. which the treatment for which literally took away mm. your voice and your vocal expression. <laughs> Um, yeah. It doesn't sound yeah. like an accident, does it? <laughs> no, no. And you know, now what I know, what I know, and being a, a you know a Reiki practitioner and knowing about the chakras, right, and the throat chakra. That's throat, our throat chakra is all about communication. So for yeah. me, knowing that I had to not have a voice in in you know the situation I was in. Um, it, it just, it, I, it's like pretty clear to me now, of course, because cancer usually comes out in the weakest link in your body. And for me, obviously, it was my throat chakra. Um, cause it was, it was, for me, you know, I think it was completely blocked. So, uh, yeah. Actually, can I ask you to explain for the benefit of our listeners who might not know um, uh, about the chakra system? Can you give a brief, just a brief description of what's a a chakra and what specifically is the throat chakra? Yeah, um, we have seven chakras, seven main chakras in our body, ranging from the top of our head, um, to our to the root to the to our bottom, um, the bottom part of our of our Torso, um, and uh, those who practice Reiki believe that um, that if any part of those chakras are blocked, energy is not passing through those chakras. Therefore, so chakra is basically an energy center, right? Exactly. Yes, it's an energy yeah. center, and we have them on the bottom of our feet. We, you know, we have them everywhere. Um, and basically, that my energy center, which is my throat chakra, which is by your throat, right, um, was was blocked. There was no positive energy flowing through that, and all that disease was able to form in that area. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so it's a really, really fascinating concept that, uh, the, that, that those different energy centers uh, 
uh, are responsible for certain functions and certain types of energy. So if they're blocked, they're going to result in very specific kinds of ailments. Um, True. You know, yeah. so, uh, so it makes sense that if your throat chakra right, is the energy center that's all about your voice, that, you know, uh, that not having a voice is going to manifest mm-hmm. itself physically in that way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just, okay, so my voice was taken away, and then it literally was taken away when I had the surgery. I couldn't speak for at least a week. I couldn't speak or eat for at least a week, maybe a week and a half. Um, and then going to speech therapy to relearn how to speak, I gained my voice back. Yeah. So that was the journey, the beginning of the journey. I feel like I, be, I was an infant again, learning to speak, and I was beginning the journey to finding my voice again. Yeah, it's fascinating because even the journey of finding your voice, uh, there's two tracks to that, one of which is a metaphor for the other as well. There was literally mm-hmm. the speech therapy of actually physically finding your voice and relearning to speak. But then, of course, yeah. there's the finding your voice <laughs> and learning to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I love it. You know, I love it. You know, you, you had to learn to uh, speak up for yourself, express yourself, mm-hmm. right? So, so tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the, the inner work that you did. Um, I know it had to do with anger release and things like that uh, that you mm-hmm. did on this journey. And what I mean by inner work, for any listeners out there that aren't coaches that don't know what that means, uh, we talk about in coaching there's inner work and outer work. The outer work is like sort of the outer goals, the strategies, the behaviors, the things that we actually do. Um, and that might be, in your case, the yoga, the diet, nutrition, exercise. But then there's the inner mm-hmm. work, and that's the sort of emotional healing piece or the, inner, the, deeper, the deeper inner exploration uh, of our feelings and our attitudes and our beliefs uh, that are ultimately generating the outer results that we get. So what was the inner work that you, that you discovered you needed to do to mm-hmm. metaphorically find your voice? Well, I, I have to give mad props to my therapist. Um, she definitely walked me through the anger release because I didn't want to let go of anger. I didn't want to show anger because I, I was afraid of showing anger. Um, you know, being in an abusive relationship, anger is it was bad. Um, so she really walked me through that process of being able to show show my anger. Um, I did a lot of, uh, you know, just really being with myself again and being comfortable with being myself and um, doing a lot of journaling, uh, a lot of free journaling, um, you know, without any rhyme or reason. And I got out a lot of things that way. Um, You know, hooking up with, with, you know, listening to Wayne Dyer and and, um, Cheryl Richardson and, and a lot of great people, um, of course, for me, having cancer, um, Chris Carr, is, you know, anyone knows Chris Carr, was just was a huge inspiration for me. She was a, she's a woman who definitely has a voice. And I kind of modeled myself after those who had voices and, you know, tried it on for myself to see how it felt. And the more and more I became comfortable with it, the more and more I was able to release the old thoughts and adapt new ones for myself, the ones that felt good for me, the ones that were authentically me. And those new thoughts, you know, I felt better. 
I, you know, now I was walking in my neighborhood, and I was just walking, and I was enjoying the nature and enjoying being in the moment with my walks. Um, you know, so that creates a new emotion, and 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 I had from there, I had a different action to 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 life. I took a different action when you know in things in life than I would have before. It was it was a process for sure. Um, and it was, a, but it was a great journey, and that, and it led me to really finding my my voice. Um, you can ask. I, I'm remarried, so you can ask my husband about finding my, my new voice. <laughs> <laughs> so he he gets to receive the benefit of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And you know, and it makes so much sense. I I think that you know, there's so many different. Um, uh, even different spiritual traditions and religious traditions out there that that talk about this concept. The law of attraction talks about it. That you know what what manifests in our life is a reflection of our inner world. Yeah. Um, and you know we talked about catabolic and anabolic energy before. If I constantly view the world through a lens of conflict, always looking for conflict, I'm going to find it. You know? sure. yep. And then situations mm-hmm. like getting the wrong meal at the restaurant or the burger isn't cooked right becomes another opportunity to see, see, no one ever gets anything right and scream and yell at the yep. server, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? proves, and, proves, and the, see? Yeah, proves exactly. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. It becomes evidence, right? Meanwhile, we're the one that's creating the evidence right then and there. <laughs> you know? And yeah, so many of us exactly. have probably experienced that where you see somebody respond to something with anger that makes you go, really? Like, whoa, mm-hmm. mellow out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know somebody actually, oh, this is somebody who was in a workshop I was leading once who said that um, uh, he had gone into uh, a Dunkin' Donuts and they got a cup of, he got a cup of coffee and they didn't put the lid on the cup properly. So the lid kind of popped off as he began to walk away from the counter and the coffee spilled in his hand. And so he took a cup of coffee, threw it against the wall across the counter, and screamed, you so-and-sos, you got to pay attention. What are you doing? And as people were like, really? Why did you do that? He justified it. He's like, good, you can't let these people get away with stuff like that. And he was just sat there with our jaws dropping like, really? Get away with what? You know? Yeah. But, you know, and this is somebody who, you know, if if we view life like that, we're going to see plenty of opportunities where we feel like we must react that way, you know. Um, For sure, so yeah. Our, right. So he attracts that, right? So we attract conflict if we expect conflict. We attract uh, abusers or people who take advantage of us or people who want to rescue us if we expect to be victimized. Um, and uh yeah. So it's it's interesting, and and I had the, the the wonderful opportunity also to take a couple of courses uh, at the Kabbalah Center of New York. And one of the things that they talk about is that the physical reality, the physical world that, that's around us, is only one percent of what's really going on in the universe. The other ninety nine percent is invisible to us. It's behind a curtain, and it's all energy. And yeah. The one percent of what's going on around us is is a manifestation of that energy in the ninety nine percent. And yeah. if you don't like what's showing up in the one percent, well, look at the energy you're putting out there. Change that, and the one percent physical reality will change. 
right? So this whole concept of our inner world creates our outer world is not a newfangled concept at all. It's, it's really been revised again and again and, and revamped and, and repackaged, and we, we hear it constantly. So your journey certainly reflects that. Yeah, and what I love is that there's science to back it up. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, there is. Absolutely, there is. yeah. Can you talk a little I, about that, what, um, what some of that is? Uh, well, like energy attracts like energy, right? And uh, I think Albert Einstein tells us that everything is made up of energy, whether it's, you know, the chair you're sitting on or whether it's, you know, it's, it's your body. You know, going down to your cells, every little thing has energy in it and has an energetic reaction to it. Um, yeah. It's it's just and you know I I love that science can back up things now I I don't remember yeah. the name of the scientist but I know that he um, did an experiment with water and yep. I think you're, I you're gonna you say might that. be familiar <laughs> with this one right I love it I love it well he decided that he was going to freeze water water from the same source right it was purified water. Um, and he decided that he was going to do an experiment where one set of the water he was going to say loving words to and play beautiful music to and show beautiful pictures to this water, right? And then the other set of the water from the same source, he played hard rock music and he said words like, uh, I hate you and, and um, you're despicable and just, just such really nasty things. And then the water that that was frozen that he said all the positive things to forms such beautiful crystals, beautiful crystals. And the water that had all that negative attention and energy formed, uh, it was deformed, deformed crystals and ugly crystals. And knowing that our body is, I think, what, 60 or 70% water, mm-hmm. right? So can you imagine? I think it's what, even more than that, yeah. Is it more? Wow, even more. So, yeah. Can you imagine what you're doing or what you're allowing to happen to the energy in, in your own body by having these things done, you know, said or done to you or saying or doing them to yourself? Sure. Um, so that's another great piece of, of science I love. Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. And um, I heard a slightly different version of his story, uh, although he may have done a, a, another one as well, uh, that didn't involve the sound. Because I think one of the criticisms of a study like that could be that the sound waves for the, 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 the rock horrible music versus the classical music could influence the crystals. Um, and I think it was around the symmetry of the crystals is what he actually discovered. It was perfectly symmetrical crystals versus asymmetrical crystals. And I think that uh, he went on to do another uh, experiment where um, he simply labeled the containers that the water was in with the word love and the other one with the Uh word hate. Uh And the same same effect happened. Um, So, and actually I just looked up online and it looks like the amount of water in the human body ranges from 50 to 75%. So you you were right in there. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, it's that's still that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of water. Um, yep. 
So, yeah, no, I love that study. I think that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, if folks want to do some further reading or research on that, I suggest you, you know, go to your favorite search engine and just search uh, for uh, metaphysics or quantum physics. There's some amazing work being done in the world of quantum physics right now um, that really can explain some things that go on in our physical world that we were just never able to really uh, perceive and be aware of and even measure uh, before uh, that now that now we are, which is, which is really pretty awesome. Uh, the number to call if anybody out there has questions or comments they'd like uh, to share is 646-716-9397. Uh, we still have about 10 or 15 minutes left in the show, so if you have something you'd like to ask Christine uh, or me, just feel free to uh, give that number a call, and we'll certainly uh, uh, pick up on that and uh, see what you have to say and see what we can do. So... Um, Let's see. What else? So, so here's, here's a question I've got for you. Give me a brief description of the difference between the kinds of thoughts you used to have about your situation with your husband mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. the kinds of thoughts you have now, the equivalent of the two different messages, basically, that the water <laughs> received in the experiment yeah. that we just described. Yeah, and, and here's more evidence <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> well, uh-huh. okay, so... Um, you know, we have a, we have a child together, my youngest, and you know when when I got divorced, I was like, okay, I'm I'm free of him, but wait, I'm really not because he's going to control me, you know, over the situation, over our with our son. So you know, my old thoughts were, you know, he's always going to have control over me. Right, I can't fully express myself when it comes to how I feel about you know raising our our child and um you know, and then that would always leap to, oh my gosh, you know my doctors say no stress, so you know stress could cause the cancer to come back, so that would always lead to, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get cancer again because I'm thinking negative thoughts, thanks to you know who you know so you know in in and so i would get back from him these things and that i thought and again like that person you know in the restaurant that gets the bad meal yeah of course you know look look what i get that's what i got and i proved myself right proved myself right so i would have um you know those just bouts of well, I need to show him I could stand up for myself now, and I'm not going to take this. And, well, I kind of was doing what he was doing. I was approaching the situation, you know, from the the same level that he was approaching it. And, of course, that didn't work, you know. We kind of just went back and forth like that. So that definitely was the old way that I dealt with it, which really just got me nowhere, got us nowhere, and just led to more stress and more negative negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um so with the you know with the the research that I did and the practice I I did I decided that well this isn't working Christine so <laughs> why don't we try something else and all right so what's in Oh like when Dr. Thought? Phil says how's that working for you? I love Dr. Phil. I love Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah, Me how's too. that working for you? So all right What's my new thought? Well, he doesn't have control over me. I'm, I have control over myself, and I have control over the thoughts I'm thinking. 
you know, he's not even close to living where I live, and I'm letting these thoughts control me, you know, about him? No. So, you know, my new thought became the only person he has control over is himself, not me, mm-hmm. you know, not how I feel, not how I express myself. Um, you know, I can express myself in a way I want, and he can choose to express himself in the way he wants. So Great. I actually shifted the way I, I started responding. Um, you know, we just text and email. There's no verbal communication. So I, I actually started changing the way I looked at the way to communicate with him. And yeah. over a short amount of time, he, he changed too with his responses. And at first I'm like, oh, it's a fluke. <laughs> Wait, okay. what's coming? What's coming next? What's coming next? But the more and more I did it, the more and more I got the same back in kind. Um, and, you know, it's funny, Mark, when you and I were talking earlier in the week about our call tonight, you know, you said, well, of course, because like energy attracts like energy. And I didn't really see it that way until you said that, and it clicked, you know, because oh, yeah. in my in my mind I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe there's a situation in, that's going on in his life that's making him respond this way. Maybe he has an ulterior motive by responding this way, even though it's been a year. <laughs> but right, see, so you went back to the old way of thinking. It's funny how persistent it can be. It can be, yes, yeah, and it can be because that's the way it is, you know, but, right. but we, we can choose it's like, to... It's like removing a wart that keeps coming back. It's that yeah. persistent. You know? Right, right, it, and exactly. It, it's, it's something that takes practice and more practice. Um, but when you had said that like energy attracts like energy, I said, oh, yeah, I've changed the way I'm approaching it. And so, of course, it only makes sense that he's changing the way he's approaching it, too. So Certainly. It's, re- certainly. it's really cool how this stuff just works. Yeah, it really is. So, so then you, you shifted from the system of thoughts that are about he's controlling me, he's always going to have control over me, we have a child together, so I can't get out of that. Um, and you shifted from that to he can only control himself and the only control kind of decisions I can make are about me um, and myself. Um, and so that changed the outcomes that you had, right? Because the thought creates a different mm-hmm. emotion, which creates a different behavior and outcome, right? So you yeah. gave me two examples when we talked that I just loved about uh, the two different situations that were manifest by those two different thought patterns. So tell us first, what was... What was the example that you talked about taking your child to school when you were in the old system of thoughts and how that situation mm-hmm. panned out? And then the new one, uh, when you had your new system of thoughts, uh, and it was the thing about Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, used, I was a director of a school, and it was an early childhood school. So when um, my son's dad had him overnight, he had him overnight Wednesday nights, and he lives an hour and a half away. He would drop him off Thursday morning, and um, the judge said that was okay because um, I didn't think it was. I thought that was too much of a time for a, 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 a young child to wake up in the morning. Um, and he was supposed to drop him off at 8 o'clock. 
Well, mm-hmm. Thursday mornings I would open the school at 7 a.m., so I would be there early, and he started dropping him off at 7.30, 7.15, um, and I would just, oh, oh, my God, and I would say to my teachers, can you can you believe him? He thinks he's getting over on me by dropping him off early. I'm not going to allow this to happen. The judge said 8 o'clock, blah, blah, blah. So I texted him, and I said, um, you know, if you drop this child off one more time early, I'm going to take you to court. You know, I'm standing up for myself, right? I'm standing. I'm going to show him. I'm, I'm standing up. And his text was, back was, LOL, go for it, sweetheart. So, oh, wow. see? See what he did? See? Look, look. Everybody look. <laughs> so <laughs> that, you know, of course, that the way I was thinking um, wasn't wasn't working. So yeah. once I was able, you know, did my work and was shifted to a, a new thought, um, you know, a situation that happened a couple of years ago was uh, Mother's Day fell on a weekend that he had my son. Um, and probably the old thoughts, the old thoughts would have been, oh, let me show him. I, it, I'm the mother. It's Mother's Day. Let me demand that I have him on Mother's Day, Right. And that probably would have went over with a LOL, good luck, sweetheart, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That same pat response could have fit right there. But yep. instead, my thought was, um, okay, it was the thought for myself, it was the thought for my son, and it was the thought for my son's father. And it was, okay, um, Mother's Day falls on a weekend that you have him, Father's Day falls on a weekend that I have him. So what do you think if we split the weekend? Uh, You bring him back early, and then Father's Day you pick him up early. How does that sound to you? And it was, yeah, that sounds great. Or, you know, I I think he said he suggested a little bit of a different situation. Or what do you think about this if we do it this way? So it it was coming from a place where we all win, um, instead of I have to win and you have to lose, which was my old thought. And that's pretty much how we um, communicate now. So it's it's actually much more peaceful, much less stressful, and it it really, really works. Hmm. That's great. And what's really important here is that we're, we're talking about two different things, yet a very interesting point that they both make. So right now we're talking about how you get a different result in your communication with other human being by shifting your thoughts, right? So you shifted your thoughts from a conflict, I win, he loses, right, Mm -hmm. conflict level, Um, and then you created conflict coming from that thought because the behavior choices that you made were in line with that. You shifted to more of a how do we both win, and what you got was a response that was consistent with we both win. So yeah. just from a daily communication standpoint, this is very, very powerful. But then I want to make the link back to our original topic here, too, that that new system of thinking, getting out of that constant conflict level of thinking, is the very thing that you believe is really largely responsible for the recovery that, that you're facing now. Uh, again, you're, you, it's December, right, that, you, that you'll hit mm-hmm. that, that the very critical five-year mark, and it's that shifting of thoughts that 
is, is really what has helped you heal your body. I mean, it's several things, right? There was the outer work, too. It's not just, oh, think positive thoughts and the cancer magically disappears. You know, that's the, I think it's important for anybody listening that realizes that's not what we're saying. Um, but it's an important part of it because you're still doing the other outer things that you talked about. You just added this to it, right? And yeah. it's created, a, it's created a, a, an important, very, very important shift. Um, and uh, so what you're seeing is the, the, the benefits in your life, too, uh, both in the short term and in the, in the, in the long term. Um, so that's, that's really great. And that's the basis of our work as coaches with people. I know when I'm working with my clients, too, it's about, all right, what are the thoughts that you're having about this? And how are those really empowering or disempowering you? How are they serving you? How are they not serving you? And I could see, tell, I could see somebody listening to you tell that story and say, yeah, but wait a minute. I agree. He's really, really being a jerk by doing that and bringing the kid earlier and earlier just to manipulate you and just to get a rise out of mm-hmm. you and just to be selfish. And you know, I think you're right to be mad at him, right? I could hear. And mm-hmm. I, I imagine you hear that from people when you tell them the story, mm-hmm. right? And they they buy sure. right into your old system of thinking, right? Right. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's very seductive. It seduces us into going with it, and it's about staying out of that and going, yeah, but you know what? What's that going to get me? And I always say to my clients, like, do you want to play to, to, uh, do, do you want to play to win and be right, or do you want to play to get the result that you want? You can play to win, or you can play for a result. Um, or another thing I say to my clients a lot is, do you want to be right, or do you want to be happy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it's interesting. Shift. It's interesting that you you know you talked a little bit about about fight or fight or flight reaction, mm-hmm. that stress response at the beginning of this call. Yep. And I read somewhere that we have an average of fifty fight or flights a day. Um, oh, and, and you know you can choose like you spill your coffee in the morning. Oh, you miss all the all the green lights. Oh, it's just going to be an awful day. Well, you just chose that. So. It's really recognizing when you get into a fight or flight situation, whether um, it's something very simple or something a little more stressful, and and you know finding um, you know to really talking yourself through of okay, yeah that sucks, but what's what kind of what's the new thought I want to have instead of carrying this thought throughout the day and carrying that with me. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes to have somebody shift their thoughts because it's easier sometimes to just stay in this, this, uh, this powerless or angry place. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's just easier to stay there than to do the work to get out of it. Um, so, you know, yeah. it's normal for us to resist that at times and for our clients to resist that at times. Um, but what's on the other sure. side of it is just it's really beautiful and amazing. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. Uh, we're just about out of time, and I actually did get a text from somebody who's listening who said that the name of the scientist, the water scientist, is Masaru Emoto. Uh, so yeah. if anybody wants to go look that up, um, it's Masaru is his first name, M-A-S-A-R-U, and his last name is Emoto, E-M-O-T-O, Masaru Emoto. So thank you, Jan. A little shout-out to Jan there for uh, mm-hmm. protecting me that information. So uh, great, great. So, um, so Christine, this has been really great, really enlivening, enlightening, and uh, hopefully I'll get some uh, notes on Facebook or an email about what people thought about the show that I can share with you as well. Um, and uh, so how can people get in touch with you uh, if, they would, uh, if they would like to reach out to you? 
that possibly work? Sure, um, absolutely. Well, I have my website, which is www.burstingboundaries.com, or my email is christine at burstingboundariescoaching.com. Great. And I will also have that information up on the Mark My Words radio website, which is www.markmywordsradio.com. My, uh, what is my, what is it? It's www.markmywordsradio.com. <laughs> it's been a very long weekend. I'm exhausted. Um, yeah. So, and it was so funny because all, all the students, they were like, you're coming out with us? We're going out for a drink. I'm like, no, I can't. i got a radio show to do. So they're all yeah. having drinks and uh, they'll be listening Partying. to this on recording. So. Uh, awesome. But anyway, so yes, so it's markmywords.com, markmywordsradio.com, markmywordsradio.com. So great. Christine, thank you so much for being here. Um, what would you say is sort of like the, the overarching final message you would like uh, the Mark My Words listeners to take away from, from our discussion tonight? Really just, I think, Something very key is just be grateful. Gratitude is so so key. No matter what your situation is, you can always find something to be grateful for. Um, and when you're grateful for something, the universe gives you more things to be grateful for. Uh, I'm grateful I had cancer, believe it or not, because it's led me to this great and amazing life that I have and being a, being a coach and helping other people. Um, so gratitude is key for sure. Mm, great, great. Gratitude is certainly, certainly key. Um, and in fact, you know what? That reminds me of something that I'm, I'm going to give a shout out for uh, on this. So one of my colleagues, and actually our uh, executive producer of Life Coach Radio Network, Russ Terry, just released his first book on gratitude, Yay, and it's yeah. called My Gratitude Journal, 365 Things <laughs> That I'm Grateful For and the Lessons You Can Learn From Them. Um, and I've been hearing feedback from people who've read it and looked at it that said it's been just really amazing for them. So, uh, so in this context, I'm going to give a shout-out for Russ's book. So you could uh, – uh, I'm, I'm sorry I don't have Russ's website handy, but if you just look up Russell Terry – uh, and you, with your favorite search engine, then uh, certainly you'll be able to find him, and uh, that would be uh, that'd be an awesome gift for yourself. I highly recommend the book. It's really really terrific. So that's cool. So thank Very you again, cool. Christine. I really appreciate uh, your being here with us tonight. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate being here. Thanks so much. I had a lot of fun. Oh, great. You're very welcome. So that's about it for tonight's episode. And before I wrap it up, feel free to mark your words if you'd like. So if you have feedback for us that you'd like to communicate to the Life Coach Radio Network, you can visit us at blogtalkradio.com slash lifecoachradionetwork. And then just click the follow button send us a message. Or if you'd like to send feedback directly to me or suggest a show topic, go to markmywordsradio.com and click the home contact button scroll to the bottom and fill out the contact form. I hope you enjoyed the past hour and that you found it engaging, enlightening, and stimulating. I look forward to speaking with you all again on Sunday, June 1st at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So thank you for listening to Mark My Words. I'm Mark, and those are my words. Good night. Good night.